Today in Movie Rollers, we talk about Dune and Last Night in Soho. It's time for Movie Rollers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And Yazdi as well. Movie Rollers is your weekly list of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or on the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Hello. Greetings, everyone. Hello. Podcast time again. As as it should be. <laughs> what else is to, to do on a Sunday morning? Well, this is true. Well, it's afternoon now. Thanks to the rock and roll marathon in San Diego yesterday. Yes. That was gumming up the work in your getting here. Yes. People were out and about running on a Sunday morning for no reason. I've never, <laughs> ever felt even slightly inclined to want to do a marathon. Is it a 26 miler or is it like a half? Who cares? It's too far. <laughs> yeah. I get tired driving those distances. I know. Yeah, maybe if they started at one in the afternoon. <laughs> it doesn't matter when what it's time. Hot. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of day you start. I'm not running 13 miles or 26 miles for anybody, unless I was being chased by a bear. Then maybe that's true. Even then, <laughs> after a few miles, I'd be like, "Bear, take me. eat me." Yeah. yeah, I'm done. Well, I'll try and get ahead of one of you two, and then hopefully not be the last person. But <laughs> that's about all I could do. That's true. I saw a very cute YouTube video about this dog who uh, was sharing its, uh, instead of guarding the house against bear, it was kind of opening the trash can for the bears so oh, that, God. you know, <laughs> so that the bears could come and eat. And, and and I guess the dog was thinking better the predator get to the trash cans. Than, That's a smart you know. dog. Yeah. It was a beautiful golden retriever. Well, no, until the word gets out, but from all the bears, that this <laughs> yeah. is where you get food and then suddenly you've got a yard full of bears. That's true. <laughs> All right. Enough bear talk. How did we get onto bears? That was such a such a rabbit hole. Because you were being chased by one. Oh, yes. that's... <laughs> okay. A uh, couple of movies to talk about today. Uh, Dune and The Last Night in Soho. But uh, before we go there, let's do what we've been trying to do a little bit more of lately, which is talk about some Netflix picks. So um, who's who's going first? I can go first. So I have one from the archives. Um, if you are a fan of British comedy, um, on Amazon Prime is a show called Allo Allo. Allo Allo. And I just found it because I was kind of looking for something easy to watch. And um, I was wondering whether this was as funny as it felt when we were young. So, you know, I was a young teen when this came out in 1984. And it's a wartime sitcom about the French resistance, um, which is, you know, a farcical set of events set around a cafe that's run by a character called René Artois. And um, I started watching it and it was it was funny enough, but it wasn't as funny as I remember it. But I just figured sometimes it's good to go back and just get something that you thought you enjoyed. And yeah. how comedy's changed. Our tastes now are so sophisticated in comparison. Well, I think it's not just that. Our tastes have definitely changed, but I think also the times have changed. I think, I remember watching it in India. They used to, sh they used to show it. And I used to crack up just with the accents. Exactly. And I think the whole thing about LOLO seemed to be about 
you know, different people in Europe having different accents. And I think these days we are so politically correct. And, you know, it may, a lot of it, I suspect, may come up as, you know, very stereotyping someone to, you know, say things in a particular way. Chris Pratt got into a lot of trouble because he was hired to do the voice for Mario in a Super Mario movie. Um, animated adaptation they were doing. And they're like, why wouldn't you pick an Italian guy to play you know, Mario. But my point is, even the Mario in Super Mario is a horribly stereotyped, ah, what's a pizza kind of guy. So why are you giving him grief for playing, you know, for yeah. voicing a okay, character which was stereotypical to begin with? It's so, cancel anyway. culture going too far. This, yeah. this kind of stuff gets on my nerves. Yeah. I mean, hello, hello. I, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I should try and watch one because I remember thinking it was very funny back in the day, but I, I've never thought of it as a classic. Mm. I've never thought of it as something that um, would would work out of context. Uh, so, yeah, those jokes were very of their time. Well, they're know. misogynistic and sexist right. and Renee is this, And they're you racist. Know. I mean, yeah. And you know, they're, they're, you know it's, it's, it's okay to poke fun at Nazis, I guess, but it's, you know, it's not just Nazis. There's a lot of German and French culture. I mean... The, the, and British. And British, yeah, that's right, yeah. So yeah. They're, they're, that, it, it, there was a show, we, we've talked about it maybe on the show before, but there was a show in the 80s called Mind Your Language. Oh my God. In, I love Mind Your Language. Which, was, which we all found hilarious. So and again, now it's horrifying. Have you tried to watch it again? No. I haven't. Oh. But I mean... I'm sure just, it's horrifying. Just so that people know what we're talking about. Um, yeah. It was a show about a classroom in the UK where a bunch of overseas expats from different parts of the world were trying to learn English. So, you know, you had a, the stereotype Italian guy and French and Indian, and they all had the most stereotype accents. The jokes were really poking fun at those cultures. And I don't know whether they were done in good taste or whether they were done because, you know, I think it's okay to talk about differences and point out yeah. differences in culture. And there are funny things when you look at certain cultures that don't come from yours. But I can't remember if the tone was in, inappropriate, you know, or was it frankly racist or was it just but, but politically it was, incorrect? It was family watching and I remember watching it as a family and my parents laughing, like laughing their heads off. <laughs> and especially laughing at the Indian caricature of the Indian person. I remember it was like the cat's pajamas when, when it came out. But again, I was watching it in India. It was mm -hmm. like a big thing and we used to all laugh. I, I did go back a few years ago and watched a couple episodes. It has not aged well at all. <laughs> I mean, the only thing in its favor is that it's equal opportunity offender. But a, a lot of the jokes are just what seemed to me an extremely poor taste now. Okay. But, you know, again, maybe it's me who has kind of, you know, got all my bristles up the way we live now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, well, that that's hello, my hello, uh, yeah. hello. Yeah. Right. Good. Good one to talk about. Yes, T. What you got? So I'm going to recommend a movie which uh, is right now playing on Amazon Prime. It's called The Voyeurs. V O Y E U R S. People who like to look where they shouldn't look. And the story is sort of. I thought it was kind of a modern take on. Um, Rear Window, you know, Hitchcock's very famous mm -hmm. uh, movie about a woman who is staring into the building across the street and starts to suspect that something's going wrong. So that's the very premise of this. This very young couple moves into an apartment and they have a direct view into, you know, this this other couple in the in the building across. And she gets obsessed with their lives because she's convinced that that guy is 
uh, doing wrong by her, by by his wife, and it only uses um, uh, that rear window as a setup, and then kind of becomes this thing which we don't see at all these days, which is this kind of really pulpy, overripe, sexual kind of a cat and mouse game thriller that we used to make in the 80s that we just don't make anymore. And the last half an hour is just one ridiculousness over the other, you know. And then, you know, and Unicorn came out and ate them kind of thing. But <laughs> but by that time, I was so invested and it was it, it's so overripe and it's so pulpy. I just was having a great time and I felt like I'd stepped back like 20 years into, you know, when movies like Sliver and, you know, Basic Instinct and those kinds of, you know, kind of uh, yeah. uh, cheesy B movies, but with, you know, with big name actors uh, would show up in theaters all the time. Um, <laughs> this movie looks like a million bucks. It's so polished. The cinematography is wonderful. The lead actress, Sydney Sweeney, is just brilliant. Uh, it's about obsession, but it's just, at the end, it's just trying to be one step ahead of you and kind of... Uh, um, you know, kind of entertain you, and I appreciated it for it. Oh, so, I've added it to our list. Yes, excellent. And me being unprepared as always, came uh, come to the table with basically the last thing I watched, which was um, the documentary Schumacher. Um, hmm. So uh, it was released in in September to to some kind of fanfare on Netflix. They scored the exclusive and. Uh, it's a portrait of the Formula One racing driver, Michael Schumacher, seven-time world champion. Uh, controversial at times, but um, undoubtedly uh, one of the the greats of the sport. Um, you know, it, it, I, I find it hard to recommend wholeheartedly. I mean, I think this is one of those where you have to, you know, there are, there are those documentaries like Senna or Amy, you know, uh, where you don't necessarily have to be interested in the person as much to get something really out of the, the the experience of watching it. This one was very much, uh, and you know, his family had a hand in its creation. So there's definitely this kind of um, pedestal nature of, of the portrayal here. Uh, Schumacher did a lot of things that were very um, controversial. He was the ultimate competitor. He would um, deliberately, uh, you know, take out an opponent if it meant winning a race versus, and and sometimes dangerously. I mean, he would threaten lives with his behavior mm. um, from from time to time in terms of just wanting to win above all else. So um, it was an interesting portrayal of him. I mean, I think um, it lost a little bit of respect for me towards the end, which is where it should have been at its emotional peak. So in 2013, Schumacher had a skiing accident and has never been seen in public since. And um, I think they had an opportunity to kind of um, talk about that a little more and kind of give us what we've been wanting to know, which is how is he? Because he literally has been kept away from public sight. Um, and they just spoke very fondly of, they had his family members on, they just spoke very fondly of the things they used to do before the accident. And it was kind of tearful and they're like, he's still with us, but you know, in a different way. And I don't know, I just felt that they were, um, they, they could have embraced that a little bit more because, you know, love him or hate him, Schumacher is one of the the, the greatest racing drivers of all time. And I, I think, you know, 
to have him hidden away from public is you know his his choice it's his family's choice but um you know didn't didn't give us what we wanted but nonetheless an interesting enough watch if you have any interest in him and the sport great portrayal of, of the guy just not necessarily well-rounded he he was very much uh, celebrated here and i think that was kind of a love letter from his family to to him so okay uh let's move then into our two reviews Dune and The Last Night in Soho. So, should we start with Dune? Yep. <clears throat> so, I have the intro, um, which is Paul Atreides. And I can't remember, how did they say it in the film? The House Atre- of Atreides. How Atreides. Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into Atreides. a great... Atreides. It's Atreides. Not Atreides. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay. Paul Atreides. <laughs> I'll try again. Doesn't Paul matter. Atreides. Paul Atreides. A brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. So this is um, directed um, by Denis Villeneuve um, and it's written by John Svates, Denny Villeneuve and Eric Roth and it's got a huge cast including Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, Zendaya, Charlotte Ramplings here, Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem and a whole host of others and we've been waiting a long time for this one. Um, we got to see this at the cinema last week. Um, who would like to get this off? Yazdi, why don't you start us on what did you think of Dune? And I should um, also mentioned this is a remake of a movie from the 80s of well, the same name which is based on a, a which is based on a book sci-fi yeah. book by Frank Herbert yeah yes. which yeah. was written like back in the 60s a seminal sci-fi book yeah yeah um, leave everything you're doing and just go out and watch this movie if you have been holding off on uh, getting to the cinemas because of the pandemic Put double mask yourself, and this is the movie to head out for. I I think, um, I, you know, I like Denis Villeneuve's work, and you know, he's did he's made Prisoners and Enemy and Sicario and uh, you know the uh, Blade Runner twenty twenty four update. Um, I think it's generally well regarded that uh, Dune is so dense a piece of work as fiction that it's pretty much unfilmable. Uh, and that the only way to do it is maybe to do a 12-part series. Um, you know, and just like the Game of Thrones, it creates this whole world with the names and the people. And, you know, I have tried reading that book like five times, uh, three times when I was younger, two times more recently. I cannot get through all the, all the you know, mumbo-jumbo about names and, and so forth. So I went into this with some degree of trepidation and... I don't know what it is. Some movies just work for you. This movie worked for me at every possible level. Um, I think for a movie which is sci-fi based, the writing is so good. And, you know, they've tried to condense the story. There's kind of a a lot of people who have an issue with it has an issue with the end. So I'm not going to say anything because it's kind of, I don't know, it, it's well, mildly spoilery. But um, what we can say is... It's yeah. So it's they they cannot right. They X. cannot accommodate the whole story. So it's part one of you know parts X. So the story kind of the movie does end kind of uh, without everything resolved. Um, but okay, I, I will say more. But I will I will just I was thinking what makes 
a great movie different than a good movie because there's lots of good movies but there's only a handful of great movies and uh, Roger Ebert when he used to write always used to quote this British uh, film critic called Derek Malcolm who said for him a great movie is one for which he cannot bear the thought of never seeing again and I cannot bear the thought of never seeing this Denis Villeneuve's version of Dune again I I just want to give some distance before I see it again. I loved it so much. Wow. Joe. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, I think I read the book as a kid, um, but like, I don't think I ever really understood or appreciated it for what it is. I'm rereading it now. And uh, as a little tip, the audio version of it is actually very good. They um, They use a lot of different voices for the different characters and all of the pronunciation of the gobbledygook is taken care of so you're not trying to um you know read through these impenetrable names and it's actually a pretty good rendition so far i'm about a third of the way into Mm. it i was on a long drive last week and got um into into a good chunk of it so um yes it's definitely a difficult book it's definitely difficult material um i remember something of the movie from the 80s but again i remember being wowed by you know giant sandworms and special effects at a time when Star Wars when was you know still fresh in everyone's mind and we were all gagging for that kind of stuff. Um, this movie, um, what can I say? Um, well, first of all, I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff, so you know take take what I'm going to say in that kind of context. But like you yesterday, I thought this is brilliant. Um, it was, you know, suitably epic. It felt like an epic. It felt like something that we haven't had for a long time. I mean, it was very grand in its ambition and scale. And, um, you know, I think there's been some very judicious editing and of the script rather than of the movie, but some very judicious choices made about what to talk about and what not to talk about. Um, because I think, the material itself is so overwhelming that you're right. It, it, it's not possible to cram into a, a movie. And I, as much as I have a problem, my main problem with the fact that they divided it into multiple parts is that they haven't started shooting the second part. And that frustrates the hell out of me because this is the kind of thing where I'd love to see them released on an annual cadence so that we can get chunks of them periodically. And I've got no idea when the next one will come. So, And there says news on that. So Denis Villeneuve wanted to film the first two parts together, but uh, I believe it's MGM which uh, financed the movie. They're like, this is too big an investment and we cannot let you do it. And they were like, let's wait and see how the first movie does. Wow. Uh, so so it, yeah. That That's very frustrating to mm-hmm. somebody who came away with, you know, A, like you say, it's not a complete story, but B, um, I'm I'm dying to see what mm-hmm. happens next because it does leave us in a situation where you know the tides have turned and so anyway but uh, I mean I shouldn't let that take away anyone's enjoyment of the movie uh, don't sit there waiting for it to end enjoy it for what it is because it is, it is a complete story and um, I, I really enjoyed it yeah I missed June the whole the whole June thing the first time around and um, Joe made me watch this kind of YouTube five minute what you really need to know before you go into the movie and that really helped um, just if you haven't experienced any of this June universe before um so underneath all of the gobbledygook it feels like this is an, a really good coming of age story 
whether Hero really doesn't want to be one. And um, I, I appreciate the way that he's captured that. I think after, you know, all the universe and the complications, ultimately it's about this young boy having to to embrace something that he doesn't want to. And uh, I think Chalamet's done a really good job. He's he's really good and performances are excellent. But it 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 doesn't feel modern for me. It feels old. It doesn't feel fresh. It is. It is old, I know. <laughs> yeah. But then why remake it? I mean, I guess it doesn't feel... Why remake Lord of the Rings? I mean, these were all written a long time ago. I mean, this is this is based Lord of the Rings, basically. Sure. Well, the thinking also is there's never been a worthy enough adaptation sure. of Dune. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah. David Lynch famously made it, and he himself hated it so much, he wanted his name removed from right. the 80s cheesy version. And then there was a subpar serial which was made a few right. years ago. And then Jodorowsky, this very famous Chilean director, you know, was going to make an amazing version, but even before he could frame a single scene, you know, it didn't work out. And there's a very famous documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune about how this man obsessed about making this movie and, you know, he couldn't get very far. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, and I've I've been listening to an interview um, that someone else did with, with um, Denis Villeneuve, and he's had the book on his bedside table since he was 13 years old. So, you know, for the last 40 years and has been obsessing about this movie as well. So I, I guess I didn't I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. It's worthy. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I wasn't wowed by it, though. I wasn't, like, blown away. Hmm. Not bad. I I was completely blown away. I, you know, when we came out of the cinema, they usually ask us for our opinion. And what I told him was two things. One is that I wish I could just cross the aisle and go to the next theater to watch part two. Because like yeah. you, Joe, I was like, oh, tell me more. I want to know where the story goes, which I hate sequels. I mean, usually I, I, I never have that feeling. And the second thing I told him is, I guess this is how people might have felt when they watched the first Star Wars movie. Because I watched it a few years later when it came in India. And it, mm. it gave me that feeling because it there's nothing cute or sweet about this movie. Everything is grand, epic, majestic. Even the cinematography is the people are being constantly dwarfed by, you know, this huge, concrete, large scale, you know, architecture around them. Uh, and the I, music. And the music. I I was shocked to find that um, this was Hans Zimmer because the mu music is so screechy. And it, um, you know, I've been reading up about this and Frank Herbert uh, had definitely uh, pro-Islamic leanings. He was, you know, at that time he was kind of in, not, uh, he was not against Islam. So there's a mm. lot of Islam favoring uh, uh thoughts in his writing and actually the freemen they are the people who are the rebels on this planet mm -hmm. they look you know islamic they're they're and and the music also sounds vaguely islamic as well which is a very interesting kind of and, uh, and it yeah. feels like a metaphor for the middle east conflict if you really break it down very much so yeah i mean it very know, much feels like spice, that uh, versus oil so spice yeah. is the, min the mineral on the planet that is um, you know creates great riches and is the source of much wealth and power and yeah absolutely the whole thing felt deliberately very Middle East and I didn't pick up on the Islam but I guess yes there is definitely now you say it as soon as you say it it's yeah like, you know head slap of course it's right there but Zimmer uses this is so versatile of him I would not have thought 
him having done this and he famously did not do Christopher Nolan's movie because he was too invested in spending time on this one. Dune, yeah. Um but the music is amazing. There's a lot of screeching and wailing and um and then there's the whole piece like you Rashmi I think put aside all this mumbo jumbo about planets and all this stuff and it's really about you know a hero who is summoned to be heroic and he's callow and he's not interested in it and he's like this is not the time and and the story is like sorry when you're needed you're needed you you don't get to choose when you have to rise above you know what what binds you so i i i found that whole that whole part where he goes from be, being this kind of you know irresponsible callow guy to somebody who is now suddenly forced with this burden to be almost shakespearean like the events which happen mm-hmm. in the middle of the night i i could kind of feel that um and the cinematography is beautiful as is the production design i mean i don't know if i'll see anything better on the screen this year it's just breathtaking i mean there is this plane that they use which I've not seen anything like it. It looks like a hummingbird and I I want I'm I'm loath to give away more about how it how it works and It feels innovative. It feels so yeah. innovative and then yeah. there is this whole thing where they they create these shields around themselves. Um that is I've never seen it before in a sci-fi movie. So I think there's a lot of kind of ingenuity and creativity and it's very epic. Yeah, okay, you've lot, convinced me why he remade it. <laughs> a lot of that comes from the book. I mean, but yeah, the I guess the the visual um ingenuity to bring it to the screen is what's so cleverly done here. And yeah, I mean just everything it, it again, it it feels inventive enough that we're not seeing yeah, um, I think you know harkens back to the eighties where we we saw a lot of sci-fi stuff and everyone was trying to be you know somewhat imaginative. I feel like we've lost a lot of that in sci-fi these days, especially with you know the Marvel stuff where everything's you know bright colors and uh, you know five-headed aliens and all that kind of stuff. I mean this this isn't pretending to be any of that. It but it it, cre- it, it does its world building really well, and I think that it left me with a real sense for what the planet Arrakis was like. Mm-hmm. It felt incredibly inhospitable as it should have. And that's the whole thing. Um, and just, just, yeah, like I say, just a marvelous sense of um, the grandeur of the, the cities and the architecture and just, yeah, really, really clever. And Chalamet is really good. Yeah. I keep thinking was call me by my name. A flash in the pan. Yeah, a flash in the pan. And he's really proving himself to be a good actor. Yeah, no, he is. He's excellent. Um, As is everyone in this movie. Everyone. Everyone is good, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. This movie runs at, what, two hours and 45 minutes. Um, They went by very quickly for me when I, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be, you know, like watching, (laughs) staring at my watch. It went by very quickly. Especially because you were hungry, too. I was hungry. You didn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance. I hadn't eaten all day um, when I sat down uh, in the evening, but to watch the screening. But, you know, you have Jason Momoa here and Jason Momoa, you know, heads his own movies. We have Oscar Isaac. He heads his own movies. We have... You know, Josh Rowling, we have Rebecca Ferguson, we have uh, Javier Bardem, Stellan Scott. So my thing is, um, they are here for relatively short roles, some shorter than others, but they're all very memorable Mm -hmm. and they're at the service of the story. And 
Villeneuve doesn't linger. These, you know, this is what I liked about this movie more than anything else, which is that unlike your typical, you know, sci-fi or your superhero movie where there's like 20 minutes of people fighting, fighting, fighting before one of them dies, your people are dispensed off really quickly. The story's just moving forward. Nobody's safe. And so it, it built a sense of like, anything can happen. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. It didn't feel kind of, you know, tired, old, you know, um, kind of the same kind of track. So it, it, mm. felt, it felt kind of more urgent to me because of that. So let's wind this one up. Mm -hmm. Yasti, why don't you go first? Yeah, this is, a, this is the first movie I've seen this year where I came out just kind of buzzing. You know, I was, I was so excited. I was thrilled. I felt like I had seen something amazing. I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you t I cannot find one thing wrong with this movie. I really cannot. And I know this was a labor of love and, you know, Villeneuve and others spent a long time working on it. And kudos to all of them in every department, the writing, the acting, the cinematography, the production design, how it's all constructed together. I mean, I was never lost in this movie in terms of the story. It was very clear exactly what was happening. And that itself is an achievement, I think. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, I just, it just made me happy to be watching movies. I really came off feeling uh, very, very happy. And, and, and one other thing I want to say, which is that a lot of the critique of those who don't like the movie still appreciate, you know, the technical aspects, but they found the movie cold or clinical or lacking heart or soulless. It didn't feel any of those things to me, but for me, I would rather have a movie which shows to you a hero's journey than people clapping and saying, oh, you're such a great hero and just, you know, having violence play while, you know, somebody is dead. This movie has no room for that. It just says this is what happens and I appreciated it for that. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I can see why people, you know, we're so used to having, you know, that, that moment in a movie and you know I, I always use toy story as a great reference but toy story 3 where they're all sinking into the furnace and you know they all start <laughs> yeah. to you know i'm with you i'm with you they all hold hands look into each other's eyes and like you know w it, people i think expect that big moment mm -hmm. in in space epics yeah. right or in, and, and we don't we that. don't get that here no none of that yeah. so i could see why that crit criticism is 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 leveled but um it's just so beautifully done. It's so um, majestic. I think you know, in so in so many ways, um, this is exactly the movie that I hoped it would be, and I was disappointed when it kept getting delayed. So, um, yeah, bring on part two. Nine out of ten for me as well. It's probably the first movie this year that um, had me kind of hovering over the Amazon buy button when I got home. I was like, I should buy. It. I'm, I'm going to wait for the box set because there will be, but. Um, yeah. And I, I hope it does well financially. Yeah, I hope so. I at need, least I need the sequel. Me too. And I, I think Nolan and Villeneuve were both very vocally against HBO Max because, you know, because Warner Brothers is part of the HBO Max distribution deal. This year they were releasing things simultaneously. And both of them had movies coming out this year. And I can totally see why Villeneuve was so opposed to having this movie, you know, show yeah. up on television screens. This movie is not to be seen in your home. I don't okay. care how big your home theater is. 
Don't watch it. Just don't watch it. For don't God's even sake. You'll hate the movie. For Just, God's yeah. sake, see this in a movie theatre. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rashmi is like, what are you guys raving no, about? No, I was just going to say, I mean, my scores are seven. Solid okay. seven. Yeah. 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 Okay. Move on then. Um, that was very abrupt there, Rashmi. She's like, <laughs> She's seven. Like, <laughs> done. We stopped on Wet Dune. Um, okay. Um, last I'm night. Done. <laughs> Last night in Soho, Yazdi. Yes, so British director Edgar Wright um, got very famous very quickly, very early in his career for making the Three Flavors Cornetto, you know, trilogy uh, with Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead and The World's End. And since then, he's gone on to make pretty remarkable movies uh, such as uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Uh, He's made uh, Baby Driver more recently, uh, the World's End, and so forth. And this um, this particular movie, One Night in Soho, is his latest offering. Um, it is written by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns, and uh, the movie stars Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Matt Smith. Um, and the I was really eager to see this movie, but I could not. And, uh, you know, from the trailers and so forth, it seems like a very uh, kind of... Uh, cat and mouse kind of thing set in the late 60s and it just pushes all the right bot- buttons for me but the one one uh, sentence summary is that an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer but the glamour is not all that it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker so tell me I need to rush out and watch this or should I stay put? Um, so I think this is a really good alternative Halloween movie. Hmm. If you're not into... The gore and the violence. Like, a, yeah. No, there's all of it, that. It's oh, okay. ca- there is, that's why I was kind of like hesitating because <laughs> there is blood and gore, but it's not your typical Halloween movie. It's come at a good time and it squarely fits into like psychological thriller for me. Um, it's really beautiful to watch. It take it. It took my breath away in terms of the editing. I think this should. We'll definitely get some editing love, um, and it's entertaining, but it doesn't make sense. So don't think about it too much. Oh, okay. Is it all style? <laughs> it's very much, very very much about its style. Um, in fact. The, they're completely different movies, but the thing that it reminded me of, I mean, you, you remember Baby Driver had lots yes. of, you know, yes. his previous movie had lots of, it was all about the music and... The cadence. Uh, the cadence of it. Cruella um, from yeah. last year, or was it this year? I can't this remember. Year. This year. This year. Uh, also had that 60s kind of, you know, lots of use of old 60s classic tracks in, in very... Um, loud kind of upfront in your face ways and so this movie does a lot of that but that didn't stop me enjoying it i think it was marvelous fun i think um it struggled for me to kind of settle into a tone in that um i thought it should have been funnier because it's not played out for all out horror even though there are some very scary horror moments in it um, I think Rashmi, you leapt three feet at one point oh, really? um, with one of the jump scares in there. Um, so it and it and they're and they're really they're very evil um, scares. They're not. It's it's not the kind of um, you know boo gotcha type moment. These are very ominous, 
evil presences in the movie. So it has that very, it has a darkness about it that then is at odds with its very kind of poppy editing. So I struggled with that, putting that, all of that together. That didn't stop me enjoying it. And again, Mackenzie and um, Taylor Joy are just amazing yeah. to watch in this, in both of their respective roles. Like they're both absolutely spellbinding to watch through. They, I mean, they steal each other's scenes constantly and they steal that the, the, the movie is just them. And it's just so much fun to watch them do this work. But um it should have been either, they should have picked like a tone like let's make this mm. poppy funny and joyful and then tone down the scares or let's go balls out and make this frightening because this this has the potential i think to keep me up all night like this type of um uh presence in a movie woman in black yesterday oh, it has God. has that that level oh, then of, i'm not going to that level of evil within within its core should i not watch it no you should watch it is but it no, that but scary no, but no because it doesn't go there right so but it has the potential for that it, that's the kind of level of evil that, it's it's disturbing evil and so um you know pick one or the other yeah right. it, that's a really good point joe and you remind me that it should have been more playful like promising young woman yes it it just hmm. lacked that edge of promising young woman and if it had just brought that edge this would be like a 10 out of 10 um where it gets lost is it's kind of playing this not high school drama but like a college university drama at the same time as this kind of serious story is going on in parallel and so the two don't quite jive together um i i wish it had had a bit more of that Pick a side. Pick a side, yeah, absolutely. But again, like Joe said, that doesn't make it so fun to watch. And again, I agree with you. Thomas, the camera loves Thomas and Mackenzie and Anna Taylor and Anya Ta Taylor Joy. They're beautiful, absolutely mm. beautiful and mesmerizing to watch. Because Thomas and Mackenzie, you know, ever since she broke out, she's been doing these little bit parts, and I'm I'm so mm. there for any movie which gives her a lead or a co-lead role. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the character is by design meek, so it's a, it's a very mm. good role for her to get. Um, and, you know, when I say she's meek, that doesn't mean to say she's not strong. She's very strong, but uh, it's an inner strength rather than a, you know, she, she's, she's not, you know, mm -hmm. no spoilers here, but she has a, a roommate with a big personality that's very hard for her to cope with. And that, that is perfect Thomas and Mackenzie fodder. But at the same time, she has the inner strength to kind of deal with that situation in a way that's very satisfying. And, and, and that leads to kind of the rest of the movie. So, um, no, really, really good casting. Mm. But again, I feel like um, this director... <laughs> focus is so much on his style that he he got drunk on the music he got drunk on the poppiness he got he's he's basically inserting these little pop videos everywhere like you know hmm. the, the camera is literally shooting you know the, the 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 street noise fades away and the character's walking down the street with a pair of headphones on so all you can see here is the music and then you know the cadence of the movie steps up kind of like baby driver everything goes mm. to the beat of the th of the song and and yes these are great pop songs that they chose in the 60s but why why are we so 
stuck in the style of it rather than focusing on yeah. the movie. It gets exhausting because you're trying to marry up the song with the action. Um, Which is what Cruella did, yeah. Yeah, but it just it's exhausting. Yeah. Sometimes you need silence. Like it's effective when you have yeah, silence and there isn't enough silence in this. It's just, you know, song after song after song. It's mm. It's exhausting. Wind up. So, I mean, I, I, all of this makes me sound like I was not enjoying this movie as much as I was, as, as much as I did, and I really did. And um, I'm, I'm going to be generous and give it an eight because it was a really effective movie. Um, I just wanted this. This could have easily and literally with a couple of nips and tucks and tweaks, and this probably could have been one of my best movies of the year. Right? I mean, it, it is that accomplished. It's it, the performances are excellent. Um, just it, it was trying to do two things you can't be funny and not funny you can't mm. be scary and not scary you kind of got to do both um, and you can do them both together but you, you know this this needed a choice Russian? Um for me it's a solid seven okay all right. <laughs> Rashmi is very like just matter of fact. Come on. <laughs> solid sevens all around for Rashmi today. So um yeah, no, I but it was it was fun. Yes, I think you should watch it. it I think you should watch it. It won't yes. keep you awake at night, okay. but it has the potential. It's like Woman in Black dialed and it's nothing like Woman in Black. Okay. Um but it has that, that sure that ghosty fear to it that's that could could potentially keep you up for weeks if they handled it. Yeah. It resolves right. everything. Right. It, at the end of the day, right. any horror movie that resolves things is not scary when you walk out the, mm. the theater. Nonsense. The conjuring. Is, no, but it didn't resolve. It resolved everything, but it was still. But it was still there. Was still there. Yeah. All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, oh, that's the end of the podcast. That's it. Yes. All right. So. Let us know what you thought of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening. Facebook.com slash movieallers, Twitter.com slash movieallers, Facebook, Instagram. And then where else are we? Uh, mail at movieallers.com. Um, do uh, let us know what you think of the podcast, these movies. We'd love to hear from you. Um, more movie stuff coming up with reviews of Mass, the French Dispatch. And if we have time, we'll talk about No Time Today. So. Go watch Dune <laughs> in the cinema. Yes. Cancel your HBO Max subscription. Give the 15 bucks to your movie theatre. It will be worth it. Too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me. And me. And me as well. <laughs>